This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Australia still has a long way to go before we achieve reconciliation with our First Nations people. But part of the equation is to bring greater representation of Indigenous voices and leaders to the mix. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's new podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by business leader Sonia Stewart. A proud Ewan woman, Sonia has extensive experience across the public, legal and not-for-profit sectors and was recently appointed the CEO of the New South Wales Law Society. She's the first female leader to ever hold that position and the first Indigenous person. Here, she sheds light on her journey and why she's never lost sight of the fact that she stands on the shoulders of her elders. Sonia Stewart, thank you very much for joining us today at Women's Agenda. So you're currently the Chief Executive Officer of the Law Society of New South Wales, as well as the Chair of the Go Foundation. Let's go back to the beginning, though. So tell me a little bit about where your career started. So um, growing up, and particularly with the uh, Koori side of my family, they were really into politics and, um, you know, lots of conversations around government and programs and policies affecting our people. And uh, very early on, um, I think it was first or second year at the University of New South Wales when I was doing my commerce law degree, I became an Indigenous cadet at the Australian Trade Commission, um, so a really important Commonwealth government organisation and really enjoyed that through my law degree. And at the very end of my law degree, I went on an um, Indigenous exchange program to the University of Alberta in Edmonton in Canada. And just because of the different academic years, Kate, I didn't get my transcript in time to get to the College of Law. So I found myself with six months and thought I'd go to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. And uh, that was some 30 odd years ago when I stayed in government for that long uh, and then moved to KPMG um, and then uh, the Law Society of New South Wales. Oh, I love those stories, you know, where something happened that you didn't expect to happen and you get that six months and it takes you in a slightly different direction. Absolutely. Um, you, you have spent a large part of your career, as you said, working in government, essentially. So you were Deputy Secretary at the New South Wales Department of Premier and Cabinet. And prior to that, you were a Deputy Commissioner at the New South Wales Public Service Commission. What do you think the view of government today is? There's that famous quote by Ronald Reagan, you know, the government is not the answer, government is the problem. In the current health crisis, government has responded in ways which we might have considered unimaginable, quite frankly. Yes. Do you think how government has responded will change how we see government in the future or how government acts in the future? Governments have significant levers, particularly in our country, around laws and regulation, policy and the way that they fund. And so I think that is always part of part of the answer. One of the things that I found really interesting in looking at this, Kate, is around like big government. And one of the things that's really surprised me is citizens allowing government um, mostly uh, to be making um, a whole range of decisions around setting expectations and modifying our behaviour and our liberty and and then our expectations as citizens on government to fix things. And I think that's something that's going to be really interesting uh, to watch this role of big government and our expectations around government where other countries perhaps have smaller governments, if that makes sense, and, and whether that would be recalibrated um, after the pandemic and in the responses and recovery stages. So it's interesting because your current role, of course, uh, which I want to talk about is the CEO of the Law 
Law Society of New South Wales. You had a 30-year career with some really big jobs in government. Um, There's some similarities, I imagine, in terms of this role, but it's also quite different. What was the attraction? Values alignment is very important to me. And I looked at this organisation, what it seeks to do. I looked at the vision and not just what the stated was, but, you know, what people's perception of that was, leading profession, serving the members and ensuring a just legal system. And that really resonated with me, Kate. Then I went back, as you do, and, you know, prepare for interviews and reminded myself about the rule of law and fell in love with, with uh, you know, the importance of all of that again. Do you think law is still a noble profession? Absolutely. So so what are the challenges that you're facing? The CEO of an organisation that represents 36,000 solicitors, you've got people with their one-man practice, and then you've got some of the largest firms in the world which operate out of Australia, quite a different set of mem- memberships. In thinking around, you know, delivery and challenges, I'm really mindful that this role serves a president and a council um, of elected uh, members throughout the profession. And, you know, the challenge for me is, and, and COVID is, of course, looming large, not only from a, um, you know, a, a very personal and individual point of view from individual solicitors to their organisations, but also economically and how do legal systems and organisations, as you said, ranging in that complexity, um, pivot and turn and respond to that is very important. Uh, We also undertake a number of really important roles. We're a co-regulator of standards and professional behaviours, the policy and upholding the rule of law in these these times, as well as delivering a range of services to members. So for me, the challenge is, um, you know, serving, serving the president, serving the council, serving the profession and listening to members and showing that we're responding to their needs. Do you think um, as well in terms of some of the recent changes that have happened, and I'm thinking about the price of law degrees, um, so there's been a 28% increase or, or there is going to be a 28% increase in the price of law degrees. Um, and some of the underlying discussion around that has been a view that the government wants to drive certain outcomes, you know, wants to drive people towards science or towards particular careers, and it wants to drive people away from certain careers. So the idea that perhaps there are too many lawyers. Is the Law Society taking a position on that? One of the things um, that we would be uh, very mindful of and really interested in watching is the impact that these decisions, and I I began by talking to you, Kate, about different levers that government have to affect different behaviour, and they're using a lever here in terms of, you know, funding and expectations, but that there's cohorts of the community, particularly those uh, that have higher socioeconomic um, exclusion, and I would include Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in that. How is that going to affect people from those backgrounds when the financial impediment is already barriers to access and then the financial impediment is even made worse? So I think that's one thing to completely watch because what our systems need is inclusivity as well as diversity of our profession and the clients that we seek to serve. So that would be something that I'd be really mindful to watch. Do you think that the levers of government are sometimes too blunt in that case? You know, it's one of many, many levers, um, I guess I would say, and and we need to watch how it's going to be implemented and whether it's uh, too blunt then needs to be modified or changed. When you started out in your career, what did you think about leadership? My position on this was probably, well, was deeply impacted by my family and that my family, you know, my father, my uncle worked in government, other members of my family worked in local Aboriginal land councils or Aboriginal legal services. So I could see that 
people who uh, had a sphere of uh, had tools and leadership skills their sphere of influence changed and their ability to impact changed and so that was something that I resonated with me and I thought that I could make a contribution to. I know and you mentioned um, that the early part of your career you started working at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission can you talk about examples of Indigenous leadership from that period what did you see that inspired you? You know this was such uh, integral part of my career, Kate. I started out at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission when I was, um, I must have been 24, so not long out of university. And this shaped my view on so many things in my life. And working with your people for your people is one of the most rewarding things that you can ever do. And I was there in an amazing period of time with some of the most amazing uh, leaders, not only at the time, but in terms of how um, we reflect back on them. So, you know, Uncle Charlie Perkins had an office just across the way from mine, for example. You know, uh, everybody uh, was working very hard to improve outcomes. And the thing that has really made me reflect on all these years is I'm part of the world's oldest surviving culture. And unfortunately, my people are here for even a shorter period of time than what other people are. So how do I have legacy and impact? And my time at ATSIC exposed me to people who were having impact and different leadership styles and um, just such amazing experiences. And I look back very fondly on my time there. You're an Indigenous female leader. Yeah. So what's your experience been in, in, in that persona as you've climbed the career ladder? And what kind of advice do you give to young Indigenous women who perhaps look to you and come to you and ask you, how can they mould their career? The advice that I give centres around authenticity and never forgetting uh, where you're from and never forgetting that we stand on the shoulders of others that went before us. And so that deep respect of elders and people who've paved the path for us and that we are on the same path for a short period of time. So how do we be kind to ourselves? How do we back ourselves? But how do we uh, continue on that journey and leave legacy and impact? Do you feel like you were backed at periods in your career? Absolutely, absolutely. I I have had mentors, I have had supporters, I have had guides, I've had people who have dragged me when I didn't think that I uh, could, could do something and it has enriched my life. These are people I call my friends now and um, such impact on my life. But on the other side of that, have you experienced blocks, discrimination? Yes, I, I have. And, you know, like other Indigenous people and people from minority backgrounds, I, I need to say I have had more support than discrimination and blockages. When I reflect on it, you know, high school was my baptism of fire and going through some pretty awful behaviours and racism then. I must admit, though, Kate, the thing that I found most challenging is confronting people's negative biases and assumptions and perceptions that they have about Aboriginal people and what we can do, that we could be the CEO of the Law Society or the chair of the Go Foundation or whatever it is that we aspire to be. And as I became more senior, these views perhaps didn't change, but my ability to deal with them have and shining a light, reflecting, you know, a mirror And sometimes, Kate, when it gets really bad, getting people to sit with their discomfort of their own uh, biases has been uh, something that I've had to do throughout my career, but it makes you who you are now. You're a very different face for the head of the Law Society of New South Wales. So you're the first woman um, and the first Indigenous person. So, so how do you think about that? Um, and, and, you know, how, do you think about it in terms of the potential you have to inspire others? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm you know, you don't want it to play on your mind too much, but, you know, I am the first female, you know, CEO in I think 100 and 
60 years of the Law Society, let alone the first Aboriginal person. And I'm really mindful that if you can see it, you can be it. And being the first, you never want to be the last, do you? And for me, I, I, I don't try not to reflect on it too too much about that, that I am in this uh, role uh, now and what it was like when I was a very junior um, public servant. But, Kate, when I started out, you know, when I said I started out at ATSIC, um, at the time there was a female CEO and a female chair, chairman. The CEO was Pat Turner and the chair, chairman was Luitja O'Donoghue and um, Annie Luitja. So that whole notion of you can see it, you can be it, Imagine that when you arrive as a young whippersnapper and those two women are, um, you know, steering that amazing organisation. So I'm mindful that I might be that person for somebody, but I try not to let it get to my head on any given day at all. <laughs> I'm, sure you, I'm sure you're that person <laughs> to a lot of people. Um, you, you also have a role in another really sort of significant and fast-growing organisation, the Go Foundation. So you're the chair there. Can you tell us a little bit about the Go Foundation, um, and what it does, its purpose, and how you got involved? Go Foundation, that stands for Goods and O'Loughlin, so Adam Goods and Michael O'Loughlin, and it's an amazing foundation. It seeks to improve outcomes for Aboriginal people through education. And, Kate, I'm a believer in, you know, there's only two things you, you know, really truly own, which is your brand and, and your, your time, and um, Michael and Adam have devoted their brand and time to this Um uh, I'm really proud to be involved in it. I joined the board a couple of years ago. We're really proud of it. It's 532 scholarships at the moment, a real focus on women um, and, and young girls, particularly given Adam and Michael were raised by amazing single mothers. And I'm just so proud to lead an amazing board and uh, chair an amazing organisation. What has the health crisis meant for the people you work with in both roles? So what has it meant for those um, 36,000 lawyers that you're yeah. servicing and also with Within the Indigenous community. You might be aware, Kate, that a number of Aboriginal communities in um, more isolated remote locations have been shut down um, mm. and have been for quite a while to protect the elders and other community members. One of the other things is about, you know, on the when, now that we're in the re- recovery phase and the rebuilding phase, when you're already facing socioeconomic exclusion, like how do you ensure that that um, you know, benchmark or, or tide line of, um, you know, opportunity and stimulus um, reaches those uh, who perhaps often excluded. And I think that's something to be really, um, you know, to, that, that those opportunities flowcate to uh, Indigenous communities. On the legal profession side, you know, mental health and well-being is such an important part um, of, of uh, the, you know, the legal profession to make sure that they they are well and upholding that rule of law. And one of and one of the things that the law society has done that I'm really proud of is create a helpline for people over this period of time, which we will continue. It's 365 days a year, you know, 24/7, and wraparound support. So. You know, of course, there's economic reasons and and um, need, Kate. But I think one of the things that the law society should be really proud of is responding in a in a health and wellbeing way. I, I want to ask. I read an interview with you where you are where you were asked if that if you could change anything with regard to Indigenous policy, it would be the constitution, recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people in the preamble, and ensuring that the constitution presents a framework to represent the interests of all Australians fairly. So how, how likely do you feel that is in the current environment? Where, where, you know, where are we in terms of achieving that? I'm at a place of being optimistic but being impatient, to be very mm. truthful. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very mindful that I've joined a profession and leading a profession that really cares about telling the truth. 
mm. and rights and justice and equity, and these are so important. And for me, I, I really deeply struggle with our founding document um, not telling the truth about mm. our country. And as I get older, I get impatient for this. And mm. as I um, become more senior, I get more impatient for this. Um, and the reason why I'm optimistic, Kate, is that I'm mindful of time and and retrospect. So, you know, if I was born a year or two earlier than what I was, I wouldn't even be counted as a citizen or I wouldn't be counted in the census, hey? I'd be counted in the category of other, which is where you got flora and fauna from. Mm. And people now think that's amazing and they couldn't believe it that if I was born in 67, that that's, you know, that's what would have happened to me. Also, not so long ago, our country had a really deep conversation about equality and marriage, and now we don't really blink much of an eye about that. So, you know, I'm impatient, Kate, that we get to the point where we don't blink an eye about this anymore. If we did, if that change came to fruition, what kind of impact would it have for you and, and for people around you? Well, for me, it would be setting the record straight. It would mean so much and it's more than the symbolism. It's about telling the truth. And I believe, you know, to, to move forward and, you know, whenever we have a disagreement with anybody or, you know, we can't see eye to eye, it's about acknowledgement, isn't it? And then you move forward from that point about different positions and where you're coming from and acknowledging that for some 60,000 years, Aboriginal people cared and loved and nurtured this land acknowledging that and then we can start telling some more truths and listening in different ways and working together differently. So I remain optimistic about who knows where we might land. What do you think about leadership in the current environment? You know, do you think that when we look back on this period of time, will we consider that we were led well or led poorly? So I think the the Australian book in retrospect might be different to other books around the world. So I might um, focus on what yeah, how I think leadership might reflect in our own country. I think what we've, what I've seen and what others would have seen is some unprecedented behaviour. And yes, there has been examples where there hasn't been as much collaboration. But think about, you know, governments of all persuasions um, across states and territories in the Commonwealth meeting very, very regularly to think about um, issues of deep importance and impact to us all. And so that national cabinet process, that collaboration, I think, has been quite unprecedented. And I think that history will reflect very kindly on this period and leadership mistakes get made in pandemics, in areas where there's no rule book or there's, you know, no precedent for it. And I would hope that in hindsight people would acknowledge that um, the best will in the world and, you know, deep care and acknowledgement of people who've lost their lives and continue to do so. Um, in, a, in our country, we've had, you know, perhaps some of the better outcomes compared to around the world. And I hope that, Kate, well, not only hope, I think that time will reflect kindly on leadership in, in our country through these very difficult times. I think the real test will be when we move from this you know, response to recovery and rebuilding and we're, we're at that stage now and that's good, but the leadership will need to be changing to very agile, flexible thinking, diverse thinking and importantly around inclusivity and not wasting an opportunity 
uh, for when change happens, that it affects everybody um, and particularly those that are most vulnerable in our society with better impact than what it has in the past. What about you personally as a leader? Um, and and let, you, let me share with you my experience. So yeah. I, I'm the CEO at a small not-for-profit um, called the Property Industry Foundation, and we build homes for homeless youth. Um, and I've been the, the leader, uh, essentially, during this period. And it has been the most challenging period of my life as a leader because it's been such a fluid and such a volatile environment. And yet as a leader, everybody, as I say to my husband, everybody looks at you like, what are we going to do next? And you think, I don't know. <laughs> Put a brave face on. Uh, so, you know, I say, I say to people, so it's been incredibly challenging. And I, I really had to lean on a lot of support networks. Yeah. I have a good support network, you know, to be able to talk about, you know, not just the strategic side of the response, but your own kind of emotional resilience. How have you found it? I found it really challenging and, and you know, acknowledge yourself and, and the role that, that you have. But I've also, um, you know, found it deeply, you know, uh, humbling as well. And I, I am, I, I try, I, I've been exposed to many different things and experiences in my career and people have said that I'm fairly unflappable. Um, so, and part of that I think is, when you're part of the older surviving culture, there's a resilience to your people and a time and an ability to reflect of a, like a time in memoriam. And, you know, for those listeners who would be aware that Aboriginal people suffered one of the biggest pandemics, like I'm on, um, you know, uh, Aurora country right now and 90% of the Gadigal mob were decimated in the first pandemic. So, um, I, I'm finding it um, keeping a sense of perspective, um, caring for myself, uh, caring for others and checking in on my supports um, is important. Uh, but having that sense of perspective I find, um, you know, important as well and, and that relativity in terms of time and where we're at. I wanted to ask you a little bit about female leadership. I mean, it's women's agenda. You know, we've got that yeah. real interest in female leadership and how do we get more people like you essentially up, up to the front? Um, again, I was reading your previous interviews, as you can tell from this interview. So you said <laughs> in the previous interview that your husband took on the role of the CEO at home 20 years ago and you say he's had a very successful tenure. <laughs> oh, you um, read that. Okay. <laughs> um, Cheryl Sandberg, you know, the CEO at Facebook, one of the things she said to me when she was promoting Lean In, no, she didn't say to me, sorry, she said when she was promoting <laughs> Lean In, she talked about her own husband and their successful partnership. And she said, for women who want a career, your choice of partner is actually the most important choice you will make. Would you agree? Absolutely. What happened with us is that we spoke very, very early on in our relationship about our ambitions and about what was important to us as a unit of two. And if we were ever blessed enough to have children, and we've got four um, wonderful, amazing uh, children, um, what values are important to us? And he knew how hard I worked. He knew of my uh, family background and it was very supportive. And I think, Kate, that people, maybe particularly women, don't have these types of conversations early on with those that they love about what's important to them and what is their ambition and aspirations. And for me, that was a really important conversation. And uh, he, he is an amazing support uh, and an amazing uh, friend and father and CEO. Mm. <laughs> With a, with a very successful tenure. Um, I'm going to ask you just one final question, which yeah. is, you know, what will it take us to see more of female leadership? But I think this is part of it, which is, yeah. you know, saying to the next generation that are coming through, it can be done, 
but here's what I've learned along the way. You know, number one, make sure you have that conversation with your partner very early on about how you see life panning out. Absolutely. I think that's such an important question. And the other thing that um, particularly young women come up to me and say, how can you have it all? And and being honest with people about, I don't have it all. I miss out on a number of um things in, in in life personally um but being open and not having this sort of allure or um you know fantasy about having it all we we make choices we have conversations with our family and children even from a very very young age you can have these conversations of what, why mum likes to work and what mum does and um and as a team um working together have a really rewarding um career uh so, you know, I think it's having those conversations. I think it's backing yourself, having confidence. And the thing for me, Kate, throughout my career in, in getting confidence, you know, often we get it more later than we ever wanted, was putting yourself in a variety of experiences, getting that instinct in judgment. We're not imposters. Don't be an imposter. Um, you know, we all belong on this leadership journey and, and backing yourself is really important. That was a great conversation with Sonia. This episode was produced by Lisa Gebelagen. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to the series on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating. To find out more from us, visit womensagenda.com.au. See you next time. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.